This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Hey, good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, My name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at Christian Chapel. And if this is your first time, maybe first time in a long time, we're thrilled that you are with us. If you're joining us online, we're uh, happy that you're joining us as well. Today we're in week two of a message series called Kingdom Builders. So every year at Christian Chapel, we begin the year with our Kingdom Builders series. It's a way for us to refocus our priorities, refocus our investment, refocus our intention on the things that really matter. So as we begin to consider how God is working, how he's moving in our community and around the world, our hope is it changes the way we act, it changes the way we live, and it changes the way we invest. Uh, part of Kingdom Builders at Christian Chapel, you know, we, we do our, our regular giving, many of us, our, our tithe, our offering, uh, but Kingdom Builders is a way for us to give over and above to invest in what God is doing all over the world. So this month, you're going to have the opportunity to hear um, the next couple of weeks from a few of the missionaries we support. Some of them will, will do a full service for us. Some of them will just have a, a short little check-in and, and fill us in on what God is doing. Then at the end of the month, we will all have an opportunity to make our 2021 Kingdom Builders commitments. So I'm going to encourage you to start praying about that. Next week, we'll tell you a little bit more about some of our goals for this year, how you can participate in that. Um, But as I shared with you last week, we were able to give away over $400,000 through our Kingdom Builders Fund last year. So uh, your faithfulness, your generosity, on top of that, we gave another $100,000 to Crisis Pregnancy Outreach to move into their new facilities. So over half a million dollars given last year from the people of Christian Chapel. So uh, thank you to you. Thank you to God. For his faithfulness, his grace. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, just uh, when ordinary people do what God is telling them to do, he does some pretty extraordinary things. So, so thanks for listening. Thanks for obeying. Uh, last week, we talked about how God's kingdom goal for us in 2021 is to go, to go into all the world, to preach the gospel to all creation. And so today, we're going to talk a little bit about how part of going means that we are extending kingdom invitations anywhere and everywhere that we go. Now, I don't, I don't know, the extroverts in the room, you guys have never been shy about inviting anyone to do anything at any time, right? Because everything's new and everything's exciting and you always want more people. But for some of us who might be a little more introverted, the prospect of inviting someone to anything can be a little more terrifying. Now, the, the thing that, that kind of calms you down is when you're pretty confident that what you're inviting them to is good and that they are likely to say yes. Right, so, so for the, the men in the room, think of when you proposed, if you're married, engaged, think of when you proposed to your wife or fiance. Um, most of you were probably like me. The day you proposed was not the first time that you had talked to her about marriage, right? Now, some of you are like, no, I did. Second date, just pulled out the ring. And I mean, good for you, right? I, I did not have those guts. It was a very cautious, like, hey, are you sure about this? Are you really sure about this? Are you sure about this? I'm about to spend a lot of money that, that I just barely have. Are you really, really sure about this, right? And, and for me, there was some extra anxiety because the whole world would look at Angie and would look at me when we were getting married and say to Angie, are you sure about this? Are you sure? Are you really, really, you know, so, so, but anyways, I I had enough confidence, right? I had called her dad and he was like, well, uh, you know, you think you're ready? Yep. Okay. You should ask her. That was the whole conversation. There was nothing beyond that. I wasn't sure whether that was good or bad, but, uh, kind of dove in, but I dove in with confidence because I knew we talked about it again and again and again. She had assured me she would say yes. 
right? Now, now in some spaces where we're inviting people in, so we're going to talk about kingdom invitations. My hope is you approach a kingdom invitation the same way I approach that proposal. I knew this was God's plan. I knew this was God's time. I knew this was God's person. And then all I had to do was extend the invite and then it's up to her. In the same way we're going to see this morning, God has invited us into a relationship with him. And with that invitation has come the responsibility of inviting others to have the same experience. So going isn't just going and yelling. It's not just going and saying. It's actually going and inviting. It's saying, come see what I have found. Come discover the new life that I have experienced. And so to do that this morning, we're going to look at three passages of Scripture, and and you'll see they they might not seem connected at the beginning, but hopefully by the end, you'll see the common thread of invitation that runs among all three of them. So we're going to start in Revelation chapter 19, the passage that Lauren just read to us a moment ago before that first song. We'll flip over to Matthew chapter 22, and then we'll finish in 1 Peter chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, Revelation chapter 19 is where we're going to begin. Now, in Revelation 19 and 20, it's the story of just kind of one big party. So Revelation 19 and 20 is the story of the the culmination of the ages, right? When Jesus returns, he makes everything right, where he perfectly and finally defeats all forms of evil. He reestablishes his rule and his reign on a new heavens, a new earth. His people experience that rule and reign with him. I don't know what your experience of Revelation has been, if it was one of those books where there were always a lot of charts and graphs and fear, or if it was one that, like, that's just so weird, I don't understand it. My hope, though, is that when you read Revelation, you experience what it's intended to produce in followers of Jesus, which is hope. When we read Revelation, it's the story of Jesus returns and Jesus wins, So you can be full of hope, you can be full of joy, you can be full of eager expectation, and when people all around you are telling you the world's falling apart, it's not going to go any longer, our Christian response is, I can't wait, because we know how the story ends. So Revelation 19 and 20, it's went through all the, the beasts and the Antichrist and all the things that always get all of our attention. But in Revelation 19, it's the story of Babylon has fallen, and now there comes a new cry in heaven. Beginning in verse 6, it says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord Almighty reigns. So so when you read that, here's, here's what I want you to understand this morning. He doesn't hear rushing waters. He doesn't hear rolling thunder. But the declaration of God's people, hallelujah, for the Lord Almighty reigns, is so resounding, so loud, so thorough, that the only thing he can, he can connect it to is that sound of rushing waters, rolling thunder, that grabs your attention and drowns out everything around you. The declaration of victory is always the shout of God's people. It should be the thing we say the loudest. It should be the thing we say the longest. It should be the thing we're known for the most. And so he says at the end, when Christ has defeated it, the first response of God's people is, Hallelujah, the Lord God Almighty reigns. Then in verse 7, it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words 
of God. So again, it's, it's one big wedding party that's being described in Revelation. So John is given this vision. Here's how the end will come. Here's how the end will happen. And what does he say? When the end comes, yeah, there's going to be some fire. Yeah, there'll be some smoke. Yeah, there'll be all of those things. But what he focuses our attention in on in Revelation chapter 19 is this is one massive party. And the way he chooses to explain it to you and me is to use marriage as a way for us to understand. Right? And, and so, so it's important that we understand exactly who we are in the story. Jesus is the, is the groom. We are the bride. Okay, now, now I get it. There's some men, I'm like, I ain't never been nobody's bride in my life, right? And good job on your triple negative there that you wove into your objection to scriptural metaphors. But uh, again and again, the scriptures declare to us the way we understand the church's relationship to Jesus Christ is marriage. In fact, one of the reasons God gives marriage to us is to provide a foundation, to provide a framework for us to understand our relationship to him. Marriage is about commitment. Marriage is about two becoming one. Marriage is about one sacrificing for the other. And so again and again, in the Old Testament and the New, in Hosea, in Isaiah, in Matthew, Paul, in his epistles, Revelation, and John's vision of heaven, again and again and again, God chooses marriage to explain to us, this is what your relationship with me is like. Right? He is endlessly devoted to us. He is all about our welfare. We are to be made one with him, our spirit united with his. We take his name, right? So, so guys, I understand all of the kind of cultural objections you might have to being called a bride, but we've just got to understand this is how God communicates to us. Right? It doesn't make you any less masculine. It just means, hey, you have been made to be one with Christ. His spirit, your spirit, your spirit, his Spirit. And so now what John is telling us is, look, at the end of the age, God is planning to throw one massive wedding party. Now, his, John's first century um, hearers and John with his first century Jewish experience, the idea of a wedding party, a wedding feast, would have been something that, that they just understood without thinking about it. But for us, we, we've got to do a little cultural work because our cultural view of weddings is different. Right, so um, about, so Angie and I, we've got three kids, two boys and a girl, right? So that means we're on the hook for one wedding. And it's the baby girl. And if any of you got baby girls, you know, like, it's like having a, a poor friend who thinks you're rich. They, they just constantly have their hand out. They're constantly like, dad, buy me this, buy me that. And most of the time you just do it. So um, anticipating this, a couple years ago, a, a buddy of mine, Adam, we, we took our daughter. So he's got one daughter, I've got one. We took him out to dinner. And I think that the moms are with the boys at like the, the Nerf war at the church. So while moms are here getting shot in the face by their sons with the Nerf guns, Adam and I were at Cheddar's with our, our little girls who I think Audrey, she might have been like five or six at the time. And somehow the, the story shifted in that conversation to weddings. And these girls started talking about their extravagant plans, right? Now the downside of being a pastor is my kids go to a lot of weddings, so already, Audrey's 11, she already has lots of ideas about where and what, and the only thing she doesn't know is how much, right? Because detached from reality. So, so she'll, she'll just tell us all this. So, so Adam and I were talking about, we're like, hey, girls, listen, we're going to make you a deal right now, and we're going to shake on it, okay? When you get married, we are going to give you $1,500 for your wedding. Now, to a six-year-old, they're like, 
Yes. That is so much money. So we're like, all right, shake. Adam, you witnessed the deal between me and Audrey. Shelby, you witnessed. All right, we'll shake. I witnessed it here. And, and so then we go on eating. The girls start to talk. And, and one of them, I don't remember who was like, wait, I heard a wedding dress can cost a thousand dollars. We're like, well, not yours. Um, you know, your mom actually has one in a box in an attic that we paid to have vacuum sealed like an astronaut. So I don't know why, but I'm pretty sure it's so you could wear it later and we wouldn't have to spend the money, right? So I'll give you what m- mom size when we got married and good luck. Uh, you know, so, so we kind of have that talk and, and then they're like, but wait, and then one it, one it, 1500 isn't enough. So, so we're kind of talking through this in the restaurant. We're like, all right, we'll make you a deal. We'll double it. $3,000 for a wedding in 2030, right? It's, I mean, it's, that's going to go a long way. You're going to get married in the church. Um, you're going to get married in the church. You're going to get married and just kind of, now you guys get married wherever you want. When I'm paying for it, they're getting married in the church. So, um, so, so we're having this whole conversation, this whole talk. Now, now our American view of weddings is, is kind of along those lines, not as cheap, right? Because you're just not as cheap as I am. You're more generous. And, and I probably will be by that point too. But uh, it, our view of weddings is there is limited space. There is limited budget. There are limited invitations. And we even know when we send out invitations, we know not everyone's going to come and we're glad not everyone's going to come. Right? Like I can't, I can't afford to host a wedding for my daughter for everyone I know. I can't afford to host a wedding for my daughter for everyone I like. I probably can't afford to host a wedding for my daughter for everyone I love, right? Like, it's just going to be, a, like, we might charge admission at the door. I'm, I'm honestly not sure. But I have this view of a wedding, and many of us do as well, of, hey, it's very organized. It is very planned. There's a limited number of spots. We need to know in advance if you're coming or not, right? We need to, in fact, we'll not only tell us if you're coming, we're going to tell you what gift to bring us when you come. Like there's just all of these kind of things that, that work into weddings. So when we hear there's the marriage supper of the lamb, this great marriage feast, our view could be like, oh, so about 40 of Jesus's closest friends, some warmed up chicken, and here we go. Right, but, but this isn't it at all. So back in uh, maybe six or seven years ago, I was in India with a, a small group of men from Christian Chapel. We went to visit one of our missionaries over there, and, and we're hiking through the, the foothills and the Himalayas, and, and he's just telling us about, hey, this is what it takes to reach people with the gospel. This is how remote it is. This is where your kingdom builders' investments are going. And, and so we're looking for opportunities to, to talk with people about Jesus, and, and they're presenting themselves along the way. But at one point, we, we walk into this village, and most of the time, from the, the outskirts in, you would see all kinds of people doing all kinds of things. Well, this one, as we walk in, nobody's in the outskirts. As we keep going, nobody's there. All the homes are empty until we get to closer to the center of town, and then we see why. There's a wedding happening, and everyone in the village is at the wedding. And so, so our, our friend, the, the missionary, and some of our guides, they begin to talk to the people. And before we know it, we have been brought into the center of the wedding. Like, oh, eight white Americans? Come on, let me show you in. I'm sure you'll enjoy this. And so they, they don't just take us in, but they take us in the little home where the bride and groom and all the close family are doing the ceremony. So then we're, we're kind of sitting at the back, and, and we sit there for a while, and they're like, come on, it's time to eat. And they take us out, and we, we sit out on the ground, and they just bring these big, heaping plates of food. And you're looking around, and everywhere people come, they're met with an embrace, they're met with a welcome, and they're met with these giant plates of food. Right now, now, as a father, I'm sitting there thinking, who is paying for all of this? 
this is ridiculous. We clearly did not RSVP for this event. We are wedding crashers. That's what we are right now. But they were, they were happy. They were joyful. It was a, hey, come on, let's go. So we enjoyed it. We had a blast. We, we left a little a money as a gift, right, to try to cover our food, bless the poor father. Um, and, and, but it, it was just such a wildly different understanding for me of a wedding, right, from a small, structured, relatively exclusive event to uh, I want everyone I know and everyone I don't know to come to this party that I'm paying for. Just such a, but, but when, I, when I read Revelation 19, and I understand the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, right, this kingdom invitation to come, it's much more like what I experienced in India than what I've conned my daughter into. And it's this understanding of, hey, it's going to be big. For, for a Jewish wedding, it was a, a day, if not days-long event. On the day of the wedding, there would have been a procession that left from the groom's house, and they walked to the bride's house, and they're celebrating, and they're singing the entire way. And the groom would receive his bride from her father's house, and then they would walk back to his house or to wherever the location of the wedding was going to be, and they would sing, and they would celebrate the whole way back. And then they would get, and they would sing, and they would celebrate. And then there would be the ceremony where they would sing, and they would celebrate, and then they would eat, and they would drink, and they would dance, and they would sing, and it was one long party. And we we know even Jesus' first miracle occurs at one of these. And and when you read that story in John chapter 2, you can tell it's been going on for a while. They've run out of food. They're running out of wine. And Jesus comes and provides new wine to keep the party going. And to the astonishment of everyone who's there, they're like, hey, we thought we'd reached the point where we'd exhausted it. And here comes Jesus to make the wedding party just go even longer. So when John's telling us, we're going to shout, hallelujah, for the Lord Almighty reigns. And we've been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, where the groom and the bride become one. It's, it's intended to paint a picture of our lives end in one massive party. And because of that, we're not going to fear, we're not going to doubt, but we're going to eagerly anticipate our union with Christ that will last forever and always and will make a difference. And we're going to know, I'm not just going to that marriage supper as a participant. I'm not just going for a meal, but I'm going actually as part of the bride of Christ. And I'm going to invite everyone I can into that same experience with me. Kingdom invitations are for the party to end all parties. So so when we're thinking of Jesus has told us our job is to go, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all of creation, what he's really telling us is your job is to go and invite. Go invite others into this life I'm calling them into. Go invite them into this experience. It's an open invitation. God has all the resources. He has all the space. And so we simply go then as his joy-filled inviters. If you flip over to Matthew 22, you see another story where Jesus uses marriage to describe God's kingdom to us. And in that, he shows us what our our invitation attitude should look like. It's a little longer uh, passage here, but stick with me. We're going to read it all. It says in Matthew 22, verse 1, Jesus spoke to them again in parables. Now, parables are just stories that make a kingdom point. Spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. 
Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. I mean, who turns down that invitation? There is fresh steak. Let's go. Right? Vegans, no mention of a salad. Sorry. All right? But they paid no attention, and they went off. One to his field, another to his business. They have stuff to do. It's more important than the king. It's more important than the the marriage celebration. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come, so go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are invited, but few are chosen. Now, there, there is a lot going on in that parable. Jesus is teaching us a whole lot about the kingdom. We, we could spend a, a week or two just working through that passage alone. But today, I, I just want to focus us in on a couple key aspects. First of all, we learn God's kingdom is still one big party. And his plan is to invite everyone everywhere to come participate. He has limitless capacity because he has limitless resources. And so our job at the party is not just to enjoy it ourselves, but it's to go out and invite everyone. To to put it very simply, what does it mean to issue kingdom invitations? It means you're going to adopt a lifestyle of I'm just going to keep inviting. Over and over and over, everywhere I go with everyone I interact, I'm going to invite. Now in Matthew 22, the king initially has a group of people he intends to invite. And he sends those out and says, okay, that's who I want you to invite. And, and they, they reject it. Right, some decide they're too busy. They go to their field. They go to their business. Some are more violent in their rejection. They seize the messengers. They beat them. They kill them. Right? And, and so for you and I, there are times where we think, yes, kingdom invitations. I know who I want to invite. I want to invite my friends. I want to invite my family. I want to invite my coworkers. I want to invite my neighbor that I like. I want to invite the people around me who, who, are just, who we kind of already get along. And that's great. Start there. God has put those people in your life for a reason. But if they reject, that doesn't mean you're off the hook. You still have to keep inviting. So they come back and they say, hey, nobody's coming. We've been out twice. Nobody's coming at all. And then Jesus tells us that his followers are going to adopt a relentless style of invitation. He says, go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets. They gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. When it's time to issue kingdom invitations, we are not called to pre-qualify the attendees. So you don't have to go out and be like, hey, um, so I've got this invitation, but first I need to know some stuff about you. How did you vote? your education like right who are you cheering for this afternoon <laughs> married oh your divorce we'll let you know grow up with a single mom come back to you 
Right? We're not going out looking for the best of the best. You're not a mortgage loan officer going out trying to find the, the most qualified people. You're going out, what does Jesus say? If they reject, then you're going to go to the street corners. Other translations say the highways and byways, and you're going to compel them to come in. You're going to say, hey, everyone, everywhere, come on, come with me. Oh, you've been married four times. Great. Let's go. Let's go see what God will do. As you read through the gospels, who is Jesus interacting with again and again and again? The unlikely, the overlooked, the outcast, and he's inviting them into his kingdom. And now he's giving you and I permission of, I want you to go extend kingdom invitations to everyone, everywhere. You don't have to worry about if they deserve it or not. You don't have to worry about if they're dressed for it or not. Just bring them in all sorted out in the end. And yet so many times as followers of Jesus, we decide I will invite him because I like him. I will invite her because she's like me. But I hope somebody else invites them to somewhere else because I don't want to be with them. And and Jesus is trying to model for us, hey, you're going to be rejected. You're going to be persecuted. That's all right. When that happens, you're going to turn the other cheek. You're going to go the extra mile and you're going to invite the next person you encounter. And so like we talked about last week, everywhere you go, God is putting people in your path who need to receive these kingdom invitations. And so we have to extend them. Right now, now, again, we're remembering we're not inviting people into some dry, dull religious experience. We're inviting them into the thing that has changed our life. And, and so one of the things that the Spirit speaks to me about again and again and again is if I'm hesitant to invite people into the life I have with Christ, maybe it's time I evaluated the life I have with Christ. Maybe it means I'm not walking in freedom. Maybe it means I'm not walking in the power of the Spirit. Maybe it means I haven't fully grasped the depths of His grace and His love for me. And I think, I don't know, it looks like what they have is better than what I have. But when we understand what we've been brought into, we will gladly and joyfully invite everyone everywhere, knowing full well, you might reject me, you might persecute me, but I know what I'm offering is good. So I can't help but invite you, right? If, if I catch you after church, I'm like, hey, why don't you come over to, to my house for dinner? And she's going to make lasagna, and she's going to make her, her strawberry summer dessert. Now, I will extend that invitation boldly because I know there is no lasagna like Angie's lasagna. There is no dessert like Angie's strawberry summer dessert. I know I have been there. I've done that. I go back for thirds and fourths every single time. It's always good. It never disappoints. So if I invite you over, I'm not worried about it, right? Because I know how it's going to turn out. And if it doesn't turn out, that's probably more about you than it is about me, right? And, and so we'll pray for you. But I know it's going to go well. And Jesus is trying to help us understand this is the, the, the approach you have to take. Your job is not to make someone receive an invitation. Your job is just to give it over and over and over again. And what you will find as you begin inviting people into the kingdom is they begin to ask you questions about why you would invite them into the kingdom. Well, why have you given your life to that? Well, why have you devoted your life? And in that space, part of our invitation allows for an explanation of the gospel, of who Jesus is, of what Jesus has done. So I told you we'd finish in 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, we'll get there in just a minute. Peter's going to talk to us about how we invite. Okay, so, so it's, it's very clear. We know where we're going. We're going to one big party where we're united with Christ and we're united with each other. 
We know our job between now and then. Our job is to invite everyone everywhere. Just keep inviting over and over and over again. Now, Peter's going to tell us in 1 Peter 3, this is how you invite. So this past summer, we, we worked through, I think, 15 or 16 weeks. We preached through uh, 1 Peter. So it's a letter written by the Apostle Peter. He writes it to a group of churches in modern-day Turkey who are being persecuted for their faith. And so in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, he's starting to talk to us about what do you do as a follower of Jesus when you suffer for doing good? So this passage could very well be written to the same people Jesus describes in his parable. Of they go out with good news, and they're met with beatings, they're met with martyrdom, they're met with persecution. So what do they do? Jesus tells them, go back out again. Go back out and invite some more. So Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, you, you can go back. It's, it's called You Are Chosen. It's on our, our Christian Chapel website. You can listen through the whole thing. I think we preached through this in week 8. We talked about when we're frustrated, when we're aggravated, when we're persecuted, when we're suffering for doing good, how do we respond? Peter lays it out for us here in verses 15 and 16. And, and this morning, I want to consider his advice from the position of how do I keep inviting people when I'm rejected, when I'm persecuted, when I'm ignored? And, and then kind of even a bigger question of just how do I adopt these things in my life so that my invitations are more attractive and I'm more ready to step into the spaces that God opens for me. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Peter writes, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So Peter's going to tell us just four quick things here that, that we'll work through, and then the band will come back. First, he says, we invite under the authority of Jesus. So we go out and issue invitations, first of all, because we've been commanded to. Right now, now, hopefully it flows out of a heart that's devoted to the Lord, a, a life that's been transformed by him, and we can't help but tell others what we've seen and heard. But even if we can't quite get there yet, then we're just going to do it out of obedience. I've got to invite because the king says invite. Right? In Jesus' parable, the messengers go out because their king told them to go out. That was their job. Disobedience was not an option. So for you and me, we revere Christ as Lord, which means we are going to surrender our life, our time, our talent, our ability, our relationships, our finances to his kingdom. To be a kingdom builder is to live under King Jesus. Now, when you do that, you don't worry so much about what other people think or how other people respond because you're most concerned with pleasing your king. So as I'm reminding myself again and again and again, I live as a man under authority. Jesus is the one who dictates what I do. He is the one who's given me my mission. He is the one who defines my goals. And he is the one who has called me to obedience. So I'm just going to obey. I'm going I'm to step into that. I'm going to live under the authority of Jesus. And then, then secondly, Peter tells us we're going to live with hope. Right? So he says you're always going to be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Now, now that idea of hope is something that is supposed to be uniquely Christian. This is why it's so important for us. We can't freak out all the time about everything. Right? We can't freak out all the time about everything. It doesn't matter if your conspiracy theory is true or not. You shouldn't freak out about it. 
right? It doesn't matter what your crazy aunt posted on Facebook. You shouldn't freak out about it. It doesn't matter how many people have sent you a message in the last couple of weeks saying you better get a generator. They're about to, it does, we don't freak out. We don't lose. It doesn't matter if you are all on board with that. You don't lose your mind. What's Peter say? Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Not always be ready to give an answer for everything you're worried about. Always be ready to give an answer for everything you think might, could, should happen. Be ready to give an answer for what? For the hope that you have. Christians are to be people of hope. So even when we look at the end, it's not with this resignation of, oh, it's all right, Jesus will return, Jesus will rule, Jesus will reign. I'll just wait it out till then. But we look forward to to the future, but we also live in the present with hope. He's here, he's present, he's working, he's moving. He does it in every time, in every place, across every creed, language, tongue. He works, he moves. I have hope, not just because I know how the story ends, but because I know who is with me now. And as we live with that hope, as you display hope in grief, it shouts that there's something different about you. As you display hope in financial uncertainty, it shouts to the world that you have a greater source. As you, as you display hope in all of the moments where everybody else has collectively lost their mind, it shines like a light in the darkness. And it will cause others to turn and to look at you and say, what is going on? Why aren't you as concerned? Why aren't you as worked up? How can you have peace? How can you have joy? How can you laugh? How can you smile? How can you trust? How can you believe? And in that moment, Peter says, here's now what you're going to do. You're going to invite by giving the reason for the hope that you have. And the reason is not, you know what? My parents just, they really taught me to just control what I can control and not what I can, not worry about what I can't. It's not, well, you know, I'm a very disciplined person, and so I wait. It's, it's none of that. The reason for the hope that we have is the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives right now and the future promise that all will be made right, we will be with him, and we will enjoy one big party forever. When you have hope, it does create questions, and when questions are asked, we have to step in, not just with answers, but with the answer. It is Jesus Christ. He is our only hope. He is our only salvation. He is the only one we're looking to. And to provide that answer, like we talked about last week, to preach the gospel, you've got to open your mouth. To provide an answer, you've got to open your mouth. You've got to speak. You've got to talk. You've got to trust. I might not be eloquent. I not, might not even know how this sentence is going to end when it starts, but I'm going to trust that the Spirit himself will speak through me to glorify Jesus and point to him as a source of hope. And then Peter tells us, when you give those answers, do them with gentleness and respect, which, which leads to a clear conscience and good behavior. Now, all of those things are, are kind of tied together, and I think most of us would admit, I would like to go to bed every night with a clear conscience. When I go to bed with a clear conscience, I fall asleep faster. I, when I know I haven't acted like a, a, a moron during the day, I, I just it's easier at night. But you know, right now, a clear conscience is connected to your good behavior. The better I act, the quicker I go to sleep. The worse I act, the more my conscience is stirred, the more the Spirit is working, the more He's convicting, the more, and that's all good, but I still don't enjoy it. Right? I'd rather just go to sleep with a clear conscience. So what does Peter tell us? You want a clear conscience? You need good behavior. What does good behavior look like? Gentleness and respect. So when people begin to ask us about the hope that we have, it's not our great 
been waiting for you to ask. Because I've been telling you for years, you're, you're wrong. And now let me show you how. It's not an I told you so moment. It's I'm going to step in with gentleness and respect. I'm going to honor the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. And I'm going to show you, hey, Jesus has been calling you. Jesus has been drawing you. You can step into this relationship with him. So again, as followers of Jesus, there are times we're called to speak words of truth. We're called to confront wicked behaviors. We're called to stand for righteousness. But in every case, we do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience and with good behavior. Why, Peter says, so that those who slander you will be ashamed of their behavior towards you. And we're not going to add any fuel to that fire. We're just going to say, I know in whom I have believed. I, I believe he's capable of keeping what I've entrusted to him. And so you can say what you want. You can do what you want. I'm just going to keep inviting you. I'm going to keep modeling. I'm going to keep showing you this hope that I have. Right? And, and when we live that way, when we live with kingdom goals and we extend kingdom invitations, you know what happens? God's kingdom comes. And we see others who are brought into relationship with him. We see others who experience the life change that we have experienced. We see the reception of our invitations and we begin to see how the most significant things we're doing in our life are those that we've attached to God's kingdom. So if you'll stand with me, I'm gonna pray for you this morning. The band's gonna come back. They're gonna lead us again in that song that we sang earlier, just describing our response. We're getting ready. We're getting ready. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're here this morning or, or watching online and you've never made that commitment to say yes to Jesus, to surrender your life to him, to accept his invitation into a relationship with him, then I've been praying for you all week that today would be the day your life changes forever. That today would be the day you know it's not just someone else who is invited, but it's you. It's not just someone else Jesus called and has a plan for, but it's you. And he stands ready today to forgive your sins and to welcome you into his family. So I want to pray for you, Lord, if there are those here, there are those watching online, listening later, who have not made that commitment to surrender their hearts and lives to you. I pray in this moment, Lord, through a simple prayer of Jesus, forgive me, Jesus, welcome me in, that they would take their place as your sons and your daughters that they would come into the kingdom with us. They would enjoy the celebration you're preparing for all of us. Lord, bring forgiveness, bring hope, bring joy, bring life. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us. We've said yes to you. We want to be committed to your kingdom. And yet at times, Lord, you see our hesitancy to extend those invitations. I pray today for the arrival of your Holy Spirit in each one of our hearts and minds. Lord, will you lift our eyes up to see how our story ends, that it ends with you, it ends in one big party, and that even now, Lord, through us, you want to extend an open invitation to everyone we come in contact with. So, Lord, I pray today and this week that you would help us to live with kingdom eyes and kingdom ears. Help us to see people through your lenses. Help us to hear what they express with the discernment of your Holy Spirit. And help us to extend those invitations over and over and over again. To be ready to give the reason for the hope that we have. Lord, as we do it, we pray that your spirit would work and move. And you would draw our friends, our family members, our co-workers, our classmates, our neighbors and strangers into a relationship with you. Lord, would you allow us the privilege this year 
of leading people into your kingdom by extending invitations. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.